0: offering support to defendants and counsel what you're about to hear is an open dialogue opening the minds to the public to what takes place in reality as opposed to what you think takes place ladies and gentlemen welcome to the justice tech pros podcast here's your host dominic crea hello listeners hope everybody's doing well um today's episode i wanted to actually um it was sparked by just observing a lot of the behavior by the informants that are on youtube and a lot of things they do and i wanted to do an episode really outlining uh the informant and the process and how they um have one persona in the courtroom that they're trying to put on display for the jurors to show that they're changed they've seen the error in their ways and they're looking to rebuild a new life versus the reality of who they truly are once they step out of that courtroom and they're back to their old lives or their lives i should say not their old lives but their lives and their true character is dictating how they navigate life and when you see that you start to see that the charade that they put on on the stand and this message, some of them have YouTube channels, so they'll put on this message about how they're godly people now, and they're reformed, and they found God, and um, some, of them, some of them go that route with God, some don't. Uh, but they all try to pass off the narrative that they're a new person, and they just want to move on with their life. Now, that sounds great. It's a great concept. But if you sit back and observe the behavior the actions that they display and they exhibit do not correlate to their words. And I'm going to get into that. We're going to do a little bit of a deep dive, um, almost the evolution of an informant and what they go through. I want to talk about 5K1 letters, explain that a little bit. And then I want to get into things that they do um, as time goes by and and they're, and they're interacting with the public and their behavior and how they're allowed to do things that the general public's not allowed to do. They get passes because they have the uh, Department of Justice and the government and their handlers behind them. So they're allowed to get away with a lot of things all while doing and committing a lot of devious acts and, and, and making threats and uh, insulting people, things like that. Which again, it's all fine. But they try to paint a facade that they're not that type of person. And then they'll do this move. This is the big move. They'll do this move where they'll say all these things. They'll say all this nasty stuff. And then they'll apologize, right? And people will be like, oh, they apologize, so it's good. Well, I'm from a different school. Apologize, uh, Apologies to me are all relative, okay? Sometimes there's a point where somebody apologizes for their actions where I personally tell them they could take their apology and stick it up their rear end. I, I, I don't accept blanket apologies from everybody. That's not how I operate. The way I operate is I look at the behavior, I look at the type of person they are, I look at what they did. It's all relative. I want to know what they did, what they may have said, what they may have done, and then I'll decide whether an apology is sincere or even warranted. and Whether it's a character flaw or not, I, I just I'm not the type where somebody could say whatever they want, and then if they say, oh, you know what, I apologize, I, I was emotional. Okay, everything's good, man. That doesn't fly for me. It's just not who I am I just want nothing to do with certain people when they cross a certain line or they do certain things I mean, it's great if people could just accept apologies and people could say whatever they want and you can move on from that Hey, God bless you. I can't I'm not that type um, To me, this is a fact a lot of true feelings a lot of true colors come out when somebody's emotional How they're truly feeling inside come out and you can't run away from that and what happens a lot of times, is their true emotions come out, and then they say to themselves, oh, no, you know, my, my true side came out, almost like the curtain was pulled back. How am I going to do damage control? Enter the PR machine, right? The PR machine comes, all right, let's do apologies. Let's say uh, I was emotional. Let's make up excuses. To me, that's all excuses. It's all nonsense. The reality is they're not sorry. They're just sorry that they were exposed and people saw their character. So those apologies are nonsense to me. They could take them and, uh, I don't know, give them to somebody where it matters, I guess. Um, I wouldn't want apologies on certain things. I'd tell somebody, save your apology. Uh, You showed who you are. Stay away from me. That's not the type of person I am, and that's not the type of person I associate with. So, again, it's all relative, and it's all an individual. Uh, Some people, it's okay uh they and some people it's not i'm one of the people where it's not an apology does not give you a clean slate an apology does not excuse your behavior especially when you weigh entireties of the situation so um don't want to go off on a tangent like that but my point just is you see that time and again with a lot of these informants even when they're in court right they'll give this long apology i'm so sorry for my life i'm so sorry for this And then when they're out of court, it's a whole new ball game on how, on how they operate and their conduct. And I, and I want to highlight a few of those things and, and, and go into detail on that. Now when the informant comes into court, uh, they do their thing, they go on the stand. Um, they tell their, they tell their side of things, I guess they tell their account. And as I always say, that's fine. If that's the type of person they are, if they were born that way to be an informant, if they were born the way where they want uh, to push off their own self accountability in hopes they can make a deal with a bigger target and relieve themselves of any kind of potential penalty, they'll talk about somebody else to do that. They'll uh, look for somebody else to take any kind of repercussions that may have come their way if they were accountable and if the government held them accountable. Now, the way the, the system works, if they can use an informant to get a bigger target, they'll absolve them of their sins and they won't, they won't give them any penalty. They, or they'll reduce their penalty, or they'll, they'll do a very, very minimal type penalty um, in exchange for, for their testimony, for them being an informant. So when you're dealing with people with, who don't really have a moral compass, who lack integrity, that's a very appealing offer, right? You get to be totally absolved of anything you've done. You get to start over and you could have other people uh, pay for their sins, but you're not going to pay for your sins. And even worse sometimes, which I've experienced firsthand and many people have, you have informants who actually will then lie and make up tales about people just to push the blame on somebody else so they could get a get out of jail free card. And that happens more often than it should be allowed in the criminal justice system. I believe these informants have to be vetted a lot more thoroughly than they currently are. Uh, Unfortunately, it seems that their word is gospel many times without any kind of fact checking, without any kind of due diligence to find out if this person is being uh, truthful, if they are divulging accurate information. There's very little that's done from what I have witnessed on the side of the government, whether it's state or federal, to really vet these informants. I feel as long as they hear what they wanna hear, as long as the informants telling them things they wanna know, they're not gonna vet it because it falls right in line with their case and right in line with their narrative. And if there was anything contradicting that, they won't wanna use that informant. So the informant is gonna to try to only give them information that they know they want. And sadly, it doesn't seem to matter if it's truthful or not if they give them something they want they're just going to use it and they're going to try to prop that and form it up as if they were the most honest individual in the world and every word coming out of their mouth is truth well that's not reality they lie they do what they can and you have to realize when they when you don't when a person doesn't have integrity when they don't have a, a moral system when they're not concerned About tainting their name and then passing off their name to their kin and they really don't care about being labeled a liar or being labeled an informant. They don't care if their kids have to be labeled that it's all about self preservation. Then that's the perfect deal for them. They could do whatever the government needs lie make up complete fabricated stories pretend to know people they don't even know all just to avoid doing a day in jail all to avoid any accountability and and they look at it like well who cares about my name who cares about my kids inheriting a name that's tainted because that's the facts the name is tainted if you're an informant you're you're lying on people you're putting people in jail you're not looking to be accountable you're not being a man you're not just saying all right these are the crimes i did these are the choices i made and now i gotta i gotta deal with the consequences when they when they're not making those decisions and they're making the decisions based on how do i get out of this they don't care about any of the uh adverse effects that come from that that may impact their family put a scarlet letter on their name everybody in their family knows now that last name is associated with being an informant i should i think about it name a lot of famous informants that you could think of what instantly comes to mind when people hear those last names right they could run from it as much as they want, but those are the facts. They can pretend it's no big deal, but those are the facts. The majority of people, they'll hear that name. They'll say, oh, that guy was a, an informant. It's just how it goes. So they'll come in. The informant will come in. They'll, um, and I mentioned this in the past. What's funny is prior to these informants getting in trouble or something, what happens is there's always something to motivate them to tell. If you notice, they never just come from left field, walk uh, walk into an office and say, Hey, you know what? I had a change of conscience. I'm done with this. I I got some information to share with you. No, it's always something either pissed them off. uh, They feel they were being, um, they weren't being handled the way they thought they should be handled amongst their friends or amongst whatever they were involved with. There's some kind of bitterness, some kind of envy, jealousy resentment there's always a driving force behind that uh they'll make up maybe stories like oh i think somebody's trying to get me or kill me and maybe they're not stories i don't know but there's always something driving that force is my point right it's never just a uh, wake up one day and say "Hey, you know what i want to change my life it's not until something happens that impacts their current lifestyle negatively that they start getting these thoughts well how do i get out of this get back at people and uh not have to uh, be accountable at all and avoid any kind of any kind of way of being penalized or any kind of way of having to suffer in any way shape or form whether it's in jail or whatnot so that's their mindset it it, it always comes after and then after they start talking of course it's yes I want to change my life but I guarantee when you flash back a few years prior to becoming informants the informants were always the guys who were the loudest, act the toughest. They were the guys who always threw the word rat around left to right. This guy's a rat, that guy's a rat. And remember, something that's almost as bad as a rat is somebody calling someone a rat who's not. That's almost as bad. So before they began to testify and turned into an informant, uh, I guarantee they were those guys. The loudest guys acted like the toughest guys always uh, beefing up who they knew and all that stuff. That was their character. Now, after they cooperate, that all changes, right? Then they say, oh, no, it was bad. Everybody I around was bad. All those people were bad. They changed their complete narrative. Is it possible for people to change and do a complete 180? Yes, it's possible. But your actions have to support that. You can't say all these things and then you act a different way. And I'm going to get into that. I'm going to talk about some of that. And uh, one thing I want to bring up, which I think you guys will find interesting, they have what's called 5K1 letters on the um, uh, on the uh, federal level. they call it a 5K1 letter. They have similar level uh, letters uh, in all the different, uh, in the state level as well. On the federal level, you have the 5K1 letter. Now, this is a public 5K1 letter. It was filed on the docket. The information is above. A lot of these letters are sealed. You see over here how it says to be filed under seal? What happens is they'll file this under seal, and that means nobody can see it but the judge and whoever's filing it. What will happen many times is the defense will request to lift the sealed the sealing, and the judge then decides if they are or they aren't. This one was lifted. This is a, a letter written to... The judge who is presiding over an informant named Anthony Zaccalillo. I spoke about him on past episodes. He's an informant. He's a failed reality star. Uh, he was on some crazy show on... Um, I forgot what channel it was on. Maybe TLC. I think it was called like Mama Boys from the Bronx or some... I don't even know. Some some crazy, cringy show. Another reality show that makes Italians look like morons. You know, a lot of these re- reality shows always make Italians look like morons. That was one of them, but it was, it was a failed show. And... This guy tries acting like he actually defended, he actually um, testified uh, on my on uh, my father's case. And the funny part with this guy, he was asked if he even met my father, saw my father, and he said no. And the only way he recognized him was from his uh, photos. He's seen photos of him, but he never seen him in person. So I found that funny. Somebody who never met somebody, but they're, they're bringing him in to testify. <laughs> but that's not what this episode's about. This episode's about the letters and then what happened. So... So you have this five K one letter to simplify it. The letter is basically from the prosecution to the judge it, 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 to shorten it up. It's simply asking the judge, go easy on this guy. And we're going to tell you why this guy did such great things. So it starts off about the government respectful, respectfully submits this letter and it's on behalf of Anthony Zaccalillo, and they want to bring to the attention of the judge, all of the good, right? That the, um, Informant has done. So they'll go into the the background. They'll lay out the background on the person, things they were charged with, the offense, offenses that they have uh, committed. They'll lay that out for the judge, and then they go into the over here. You have like section C on this letter. It's his substantial assistance. Here they'll try to tell. Well, they will tell. They'll tell the uh, judge all of the cases. That the individual has helped, and because of his cooperation, uh, they were able to get convictions on other people, thanks to this individual. So this guy looks like he was involved in a million people. This guy informed on everybody. He was involved in this case. He was involved in this case. This case. This case. This case. This case. So this guy's like a professional informant. Uh, You know, this is a professional informant. This letter was done in 2015. So this was actually prior. This was related to another case. So this was prior to his last uh, testimony where he uh, testified against Matthew Madonna, Stephen Crea, Christopher Landonio, and Terrence Caldwell. So that's not on here because this is prior to that. And i wanted to show you how they they give glowing reviews and they say uh, just to give you a little excerpt zoccalillo's assistance provided the principal evidence in each and every one of these investigations and none of these cases would have been brought without zoccalillo extraordinary co- cooperation so then they just outline everything that some information is redacted uh, they don't want that public they talk about uh the testimony and what a great job he did and this is all this is why i always laugh you know the, the court when you're in court the prosecution will talk to the jury and they'll tell the jury well listen this informant is facing he has no benefit here he's facing he could face up to 25 years in jail technically yeah that's what he could face that's great but they're playing with words because the truth is once they give this letter that never happens the informants on the last case that i just mentioned Every one of them pretty much got time served and a slap on the wrist. They didn't have to do any additional time for their testimony. So these these letters, the government will try to minimize the letter to the jury because the jury don't know what the letter is. They don't see the letter. The defense will sometimes uh, bring up the letter, but they don't see it, they don't really grasp what it is. Uh, they just think, ah, oh, it's a letter from the prosecution. Now it's a powerful letter and it's a lot more than just a simple letter to the prosecution. This is a letter basically guiding the judge, telling the judge, listen, this guy's a good guy, he helped us out, go easy on him. And nine out of 10 times, the judge will give them a slap on the wrist, uh, time served, they'll do whatever's in the benefit of this informant to keep them as an informant, to keep them playing ball, and also, by doing that, you have to realize it sets the tone for other informants. Other informants will say, look at the deal this guy got. He, he testified. He didn't get no time. He get, he did all these crimes, but he got away with every one because they wanted to go after a bigger target. They're not going to hold him accountable. So I should inform. And that all goes back to oneself and how they're built. And that's why I always feel you, you're born that way. You're not made that way. Either you agree with that philosophy or you don't. It's that simple. You can't make yourself agree with that philosophy. It's too strong of a inner constitution to allow you to one day wake up and say, ah, it's okay, I can inform now. That just means it was always in you and you were never that strict with it from day one. Everybody's different, right? We're all built differently. Uh, And then they conclude, they just say, in light of the information, uh, we recommend like basically a slap on the wrist, (laughs) okay? So these are the five K one letters. I'm gonna bring up another one. This is from another informant, David Evangelista he was also uh, one of the informants on the case I mentioned. Um, this was after his testimony on that case and they outline what he is. And here they try to they try to minimize it. Like Evangelista was a note job bank robber. See, they put that in there to minimize him robbing banks and say, oh, he just handed notes, things like that. They, and it's funny because if you notice, whenever they write a letter on their informant's behalf, They downplay everything. If there's ever a letter written on the uh, defendant from the prosecution, man, they exaggerate everything and they make everything so sinister. And They completely reverse it with this psychology 101, right? They completely reverse it. So same thing. They lay out his personal history and um, which we found some errors in this. And that's part of our rule 33. They sta- said he stopped doing drugs and selling drugs in 2016. And we proved that wasn't wrong because remember now, this David Evangelista, this guy was one of the main reasons for our rule 33 because they handed over his, his um, jail phone calls a year after the trial ended. And on those jail phone calls, we heard a lot of his underhanded dealings. He was extorting an inmate's wife. He was threatening her. He was selling drugs. He was addicted to drugs. So a lot was in this letter, wound up not being accurate when they were trying to tell the judge he turned over a new leaf and all that. Now this was funny. They talk about, see Evangelista tried setting up uh, Christopher Landonio. He tried lying and saying Chris tried um, escaping from jail. Now that was all proven a lie. The defense ripped that apart. Uh, uh, Christopher Landonio's attorney was a gentleman named John Moringolo. He did a phenomenal job ripping this uh, informant apart, and he exposed that the guy was lying about his whole escape plan. This guy actually had a track record. He did this to somebody else. He he tried doing it with another inmate, uh, tried setting him up and saying the guy was an informant. Uh, Long story short, the jury... um, Dismissed that. They acquitted Chris of that charge. They didn't believe the informant. They, they knew the guy was lying. But I found this funny. I wanted to show you this, how the government puts it. Second, Evangelista provided nearly all the evidence on the escape counts against Londonio. After Evangelista reported the planned escape to MDC officials, law enforcement recovered a box containing 15 bedsheets from underneath Londonio's bed in the prison cell. Aside from these sheets, however, the proof on the escape came from Evangelista's description of Londonio's plan. So the proof all came from this guy lying, which was corroborated by emails, jail calls, and other evidence pieced together by the FBI. Again, not accurate. We disproved a lot of that with the emails. Um, He tried saying a few times, and we caught him in his lie. He, He made one statement that Chris had a meeting with his mother. He had a visit with his mother, and his mother told him... Um, that somebody got bail, and Chris got all annoyed and pissed off. Long story short, when the defense dove in, uh, no, it wasn't a visit. Chris never met with his mom. It was done via email. Evangelista was lying. It was an email. And the reason why you may say, well, that's a small point, but it wasn't because he had this long, elaborate story about how Londonio came back from the visit, irate and all mad and all pissed off from the visit. So it was very detailed. So that's why it was important to say, no, it wasn't a visit. Londonio was emailing with his mom and he lied about Londonio's reaction. And we, and we uh, shown that unfortunately, um, unfortunately it didn't mean much with the judge. Uh, she, she overruled what we tried putting in, uh, not to get too complicated and to veer off, but basically what happened was the judge ruled originally that Evangelista couldn't testify. She didn't believe his credibility. Then after two weeks, when the when the trial was going on, I guess they seen the trial wasn't going the way they wanted, she ruled for it to go back in. And that's a big appeal issue. That's a separate topic. But just to give you a little background on that. But I found this, let me get back to this. I found this interesting how they, how they minimize, again, him being acquitted. They go, ultimately, the jury acquitted Londoni on the escape count. However, this appears to have been for reasons unrelated to the credibility of Evangelista. No, actually, it was directly related to the credibility of Evangelista. But you see what they did here? They're trying to just tell the judge, no, he was right, but the jury got it wrong. So they're blaming the jury now for getting it wrong. So the jury gets it right when they rule in their favor, but they get it wrong when they rule in the defendant's favor. Got it. Okay. Um, goes on. It's really just a real bluffing type email just really putting somebody on a pedestal making them very important and that's the purpose it's really to to shine to make the informants appear as model citizens ready to uh ready to um change their life and that was funny This, this line item I found funny. They actually bring up my brother and they try to credit Evangelista having some kind of impact on my brother's decision to take a plea. And it actually had nothing to do with him. Uh, Evangelista, again, never met my brother. They didn't know my brother. My brother had no idea who this guy is. Never had any interaction with him. So he had nothing to do with my brother's decision to make a plea. And I spoke about how everybody has different reasons why they take pleas. I'm not gonna have the discussion. I know a lot of people think, well, if you plea, that's because you're guilty. That's not the reality of it. You can look it up. There's statistics, a lot of innocent people plea for a lot of different reasons, financial reasons, fear of not getting a fair trial, which happens way too often. So there's a lot of other elements there. I know you get some people that disagree, but those are the facts. They've um, proven that, that people took, Took a plea when they were in fact innocent. You could look it up. Innocent Project has all kinds of statistics on that. And again, they always sign it off with the conclusion, basically saying, give him a slap on the wrist. And that's what happened with this guy. Uh, no time served. Out, out and about. And this guy was something else. I mean, the things. This was the guy. He ate razor blades. This guy was unhinged, real wacko. He ate razor blades. He um, tried extorting his mother. Tried extorting uh, an inmate's wife, selling drugs, doing drugs, lying left and right, lying to his family. Uh, A lot of stuff, a lot of stuff, which was in the rule 33 that I spoke about, where he even talks about committing perjury and he wants to withdraw his plea. Uh, The government told him they're going to withdraw his plea because they caught him uh, perjuring himself. So there's a lot of snakes in this guy's closet and that was all addressed. Uh, A lot of skeletons, snakes, where would I get that from? A lot of skeletons in this guy's closet and... um, all that was addressed in the rule 33, the contradictions and all that. And uh, I just wanted to go over the 5k one to set the tone. So you understand the impact it has. So now the, the, the uh, judge will read that the sentencing judge. And of course they're going to factor in it weighs heavily. And again, they really downplay that in court, like in front of the jury, they really make it like the 5k one means nothing. And the informant is still risking spending the rest of their life in jail. And they're not risking that ladies and gentlemen just look at the statistics of it look at the informants look at what they were charged with and then look at the the time they wind up serving if you look at the percentiles on that the percentile is very high that they wind up doing minimal to no time in exchange for their testimony those are the facts now to the jury they painted differently and that's why i do my thing because i can't control what they say in the courtroom but i can inform you publicly here and then if you, this, if you are selected to be a juror, you got to keep that in your mind. Keep that in your mind about these informants, about their motivation, and about the benefits. Now flash forward to after the trial. Now you have the informant, and they're supposed to be building their new life. When you think of building a new life, you think starting over, doing something totally different. If you were a, if you were a laborer. Maybe you're gonna own a flower shop, just something totally different in contrast, right? You think building a new life because you want nothing to do with the old life, right? Well, that's not what happens. What happens here in 2022 and the new century, right? In our 21st century now, the 21st century informant handbook, what happens now is you agree to make a deal you agree to exchange somebody else's freedom for yours so you don't have to be accountable. And you have options to to really advance yourself based on that and capitalize based on those moves. And what they do is they have a playbook. Their playbook is, let me live my old life. Let me brag. Let me tell all these stories. Let me insult people. Let me insult people's family. Let me perhaps write a book, let me perhaps do a podcast, try to get famous in the YouTube stratosphere or the podcast stratosphere, and I could have the best of both worlds. I could still pretend I'm a tough guy, this crazy gangster, but I could also say, well, I'm reformed now, get the best of both worlds, right? That's their, their playbook now, book, podcast, best of both worlds, capitalizing on what they have done. So let's look at that now. They want to capitalize on their old life in ways. They want to use, whether it's the defendant's name, stories about people, insulting people, making fun of people, stalking people. They want to do all these different things. I'm gonna get into the stalking part. They want to do all these different things, and at the same, on one side of their mouth, they're reformed, and on the other side of their mouth, I'm still this crazy gangster. I'm a rock star. I'm famous on YouTube. Check me out. I mean, they're famous. Yeah, I guess within, you know, that realm, I guess some people are um, enamored with that to each their own once again. That's their plan. Now, when you start tracking, and this is where I'm appealing to defendants, to family, to the public, start tracking their behavior. See what they're doing. See what stories they're telling. I've personally experienced, okay, a f- federal informant, full-blown informant, Well, they'll threaten people online, they'll tell people to meet them, they're tough, I'm crazy, and in the same token say, also I want to call the Department of Justice. Now think about that. Think about the psychology behind that. Again, it's that dual personality, right? They want to still be a tough guy, but still run to their caretaker. Who could protect them? The government, their handlers. They wanna run to big daddy, right? That's their big daddy. The government's their big daddy now. So they wanna run to daddy. They wanna abuse people and so people threaten people, talk tough. I had one informant. Uh, I'm friends with a content creator on here and and I'm proud to call this gentleman my friend. Uh, His name's Mob Rats Exposed, that's his channel. Check him out for my listeners who don't know it. Just search Mob Rats Exposed. You had one informant actually threatened to like break his jaw, or bust your, like talking tough, right? And all I think when I see that is I shake my head because ladies and gentlemen, if you or I came on here and said anything remotely close to that, or even insinuated anything close to that towards an informant, you're going to have a big problem. You cannot do that. You cannot threaten informants. You, you can't do that. Now, you could expose them, we, you, could, you could read their testimony like I do, you could show articles, you could talk about things, you could show evidence, you could point out their uh, inaccuracies, you can make fun of them if you want, you could abuse them, but you can't threaten them. But yet, they're allowed, they're handlers, and I have to believe their handlers aren't aware of these things. I have to believe that, because it's too... It may be naive, but I want to believe that I should say because I I have a hard time believing any federal agent will want to risk their reputation for some informant. I'm sure they deal with a lot of informants. They won't want an informant ruining their reputation. So I think a lot of this goes on without them knowing perhaps, but it goes to show they don't have a handle on these guys. These guys are just out there doing what they want, saying one thing, doing another, trying to tell the public how changed they are, how reformed they are, how sorry they are. Then the second, and the reason uh, this informant went after uh, uh, this gentleman, Mob Rats Exposed, was because the guy, similar to myself, me and him are very similar, where we don't really align with informants, we don't align with that concept. So he was uh, pointing that out. After the guy abused him, attacked him, insulted him, he responded with no threats, not threatening anybody, zero threats, not abusing his family, not abusing anybody, just focusing on the guy and ripping the guy apart based on the guy's words and the guy's conduct. This individual got so rattled, he did so many different sessions of threatening the guy, and you know, the tough talk, the typical tough talk that all these, inform- all these informants seem to do, and man, does it crack me up. I don't know about you guys. But I don't think anything cracks me up more than a grown man in front of a computer screen talking tough. That's got to be one of the funniest things I think I've ever seen in my life. I don't know if it's because of how I was brought up. I don't know if it's just because I know what tough is and I know what cowards are. And when you see a coward acting tough, I find it hysterical. Nothing about it aggravates me. It actually makes me laugh. It's comedy relief to see grown men, especially an informant, talking so tough, <laughs> threatening people. Now, this same informant tried doing the same thing to me, but his angle with me was a little different, although it may have been with everybody. What these informants try doing, ladies and gentlemen, if you if you do a channel similar to mine, anybody involved what we push back or we're exposing what they're doing, they don't like that. You have to realize for years, Nobody challenged them. Nobody checked them. Nobody. And I mean nobody challenged them. They may have selected a few that they had personal issues with and went after them, but nobody challenged them on a whole. Nobody just went after the entire concept. So now that they're seeing that being done, they don't know how to handle it. So their true persona comes out. And what's their true persona? The fake tough guy, you know, the going on the computer, talking tough, making threats. That's the fake that's the persona that comes out. They revert back to the fake tough guy they used to be back in the day, and they do it this way. And the public should be concerned with this simple philosophy and observation. Why is one person allowed to do something and another person's not? not? So a federal informant could come on, blast people, blast their family, try to set them up because I believe that's what they're all doing now. So everybody be aware of that. These informants are informants. Do not forget that. They have direct relationships with their handlers. They constantly work with their handlers. If something comes up that they want their handlers to be aware of, they're going to tell their handlers. So if they could set somebody up again, because that's, that's what they've done in their past. They set people up. A lot of them have lied. Uh, A lot of them have manipulated. So if they could go back to their old ways, And have the government support them they feel like superman right so when they're in their little brains they think people are stupid they think they could come on and entice people and aggravate people and get somebody to say something dumb and then they could go back to their um handler back to the department of justice back to the state whoever's they're involved with and say hey this guy threatened me go get him See, that's what they wanna do. Now, it doesn't count that they threatened everybody and their mother. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. It's just who responds. If anybody responds in like and in kind, that person's gonna have a problem. And that's a fact. So, listeners, be very weary of that. Be very sensitive to that fact. Just watch how you navigate around these people. Because in the back of their mind, they always wanna have that that ace in the hole. And their ace in the hole, is running back to their daddy, their government, right? That's their daddy. Whether it's state daddy, government, uh, federal daddy, they all got their daddy that they run back to. Um, because that's, that's who's gonna step in and say, hey, are you bothering my little buddy? It was like when we were kids, you know, the my buddy doll. When I was a kid in the 80s, you had the my buddy doll. And they step in, my buddy, you bother, you bother my buddy? And they'll step in and then they'll look to give you a problem. So don't fall for it. Their words mean nothing. What I do recommend is take these things, use these things, download these things. After I've witnessed certain things, I put, I, I, downloaded certain episodes where I've seen these informants saying a lot of nasty things, threatening people, abusing people, making fun of people. I save all these things and I house them and I talk to different defense teams and I talk to them how we could possibly intertwine them to the opening and closing of a case just to show life after testimony you want to show an informant's life after testimony that's important i believe for the jury let the juror know these guys don't change show the juror what they do play those tapes i I, uh i'm part of a case now where it may may be able to intertwine it and i would look to possibly do that i would do a professional culmination video i would want the jury a video could be very impactful you know so if you could show show the jury an evolution of this I would show I try to save all the comments they make all the nasty remarks I try to save everything and I build it in a database to help defendants see what they do is they try to drain people up and get them in trouble uh, uh, and make deals to to hire their position as top informant that's what they do what I do is I try to just keep all their stuff house it so when a defendant needs it to prove the truth or to save their life or to show somebody's lying or to show their true colors to get a fair trial, that's what I want to use it for. I want to use it to help all different defendants. And that's why I wanted to do this episode, because I want a lot of people to be aware of that. If you see informants, and in some way, uh, maybe you're tied to a defendant who may have been impacted by that informant. Maybe maybe you were wronged by this informant. It's important to capture all that. You never know when you're going to need it just to have that information of their true persona the comments they make the responses they make the videos they do the outbursts they have the language they use you want that it's very important to show the true character of these individuals because they do try to feel um man i'm stumbling my words they try to fool the juror they try to fool the court they try to i wouldn't be surprised they're trying to fool their handlers I would not be surprised if the handlers are not aware of the games. These guys are playing again. I don't think they'd want to look bad. So I don't think they're aware of a lot of these things. So they'll hide all that and they'll try to use it where they can get away with it. So it's important for those paying attention, family members, defense teams, defendants, make sure you grab all those things and just hold it, hold it for yourself to protect yourself or to protect your loved one or to protect your client, because it could come up where you could use it in court to help those people or use it on appeals to help people. You never know when you're gonna need it. So just grab it, let them talk, let them keep going, let them throw tantrums. And I'm gonna give you another example, which is even, which is just as bad, if not worse, it's actually probably a little worse uh, than what I experienced. You know what, it is worse. It's worse than what I experienced because it's more degenerate. Um, I don't wanna get into names because I don't, I, I just don't like that, I don't get into people's names. There's an individual, we all know this person, um i don't know i I don't want to say it because i don't like talking about people's business but i just you're gonna know who i'm talking about and it's just because it's i just don't want to talk about our business so in that way because i do have a lot of listeners who aren't involved in all these channels and they don't really know i have a lot of lawyers listening uh some radio show hosts a lot of my friends a lot of my business associates so they may not I just don't want to really uh, get into somebody's details. So I'm just going to give a generalization of the situation and I'll explain it this way. There was somebody who was being tormented by an informant and I'm talking tormented, low life stuff where this informant actually would send the person, uh, I don't know if they sent the person directly cause I don't know. They may not sent the messages, but what they did was they started social media pages at the expense of a family member, not even the defendant, a family member of a defendant. Okay. They devoted an Instagram page to the family member of a defendant that was terrible, all degenerate things, sexual things, all terrible degenerate lowest of the low images, words, everything, right? You could imagine it. And why did they do that? Because this person was defending her family she was sticking up for her family. She was saying, well, that's not right. Don't say that about my family because that's not accurate. She was pointing out inaccuracies. And this informant got so out of control because it apparently affected his friend. His friend's another informant. So it affected his friend. So I guess he took on the battle of his friend. And he decided to go after this person. Now think about that. You have an informant who's protected, who's supposed to be monitored, who's supposed to be on probation, supervised release, whatever it is, they have the ability to torment somebody, to stalk somebody, to make their life very uncomfortable. Now this person he was doing it to is a very strong individual, so uh, I know it didn't break her down or anything, but who the heck wants to deal with that nonsense, right? Who wants to deal with that BS? It gets tiresome for anybody. So it was relentless nonstop. So this individual, uh. And, and why? Why did that happen? All because this person was defending her family and pointing out lies that this informant's friend was making. The informant's friend's another informant, and that uh, person was lying about her family, and she was pointing it out. So because of that, now she's open to get tormented? It all goes back to what they're allowed to do, people. Think about that. How is that allowed in today's day and age? The same way the family members of the defendants cannot torment an informant, cannot threaten an informant, cannot do these horrible things to an informant. It should work both ways, but the informants allowed to do it. And that's very important. All these things have to be exposed, put out. The public needs to be aware of it. They need to be aware of the informant's life after testimony. And that's what this episode is, life after testimony, after the curtain comes down, after the show's over, what is this person really like at their core? And you don't have to look far to see it. You don't have to look far to see it. That same informant I was telling you about that was tormenting this lady, that same informant did did a ton of episodes ripping people apart talking tough. Come meet me. I'll split your head open. Nobody's going to do, I mean, tough, tough, the typical tough, fake tough guy, informant talk that I was talking about earlier that they think actually impresses people, but it's comical to anybody who could see through it. It's comical, but that's what they do. They do these episodes tormenting people, ripping people apart. I remember this old show I would watch uh, for business purposes. I would download all the episodes because the informant is involved in one of the cases. And I remember one episode sticks out to me. And the informant was talking about somebody from his old life, and he was abusing the guy, saying the guy's not a man, saying the guy's greedy, the guy's... So, I mean, just outright destroying the guy. So think about that. Defendants have to get put away by these people and then get tormented in the abuse of it. So, okay, say you say, well, the defendant deserved it. The defendant deserved it. A lot of people think that. I don't think that way. I think they're in jail. They're serving their time. They're punished. Leave it alone. But people don't think that way. That's fine. I respect that. But now the family, well, I shouldn't say I respect that. I acknowledge that, I should say. Now the family has to hear their loved one being abused, being insulted. Um, Other episodes, I heard informants destroying their ex. They have like an ex destroying their reputation, uh, really vile things. It's it's amazing when you really take the time to listen to what they're doing. See, the audience is always so captivated by the stories they're telling, right? A lot of the public is just infatuated with that, to each their own. Uh, they they want to hear the stories. But when you do that, <clears throat> you forget the human aspect of it. You forget that these are people who can't defend themselves, they can't come on, they can't refute these claims, they don't want to, if there's reasons because they're a defendant, uh, reasons maybe they're just shy. Some people just don't want to be out there. I have so many emails, and I'm trying to talk to several people. I'm trying to talk to um, family members of some of these informants on here who have contacted me, uh, exes of some of these informants, even business partners of some of these informants, and the defendant's family. Um, I talk to a lot of them behind the scenes. We we correspond, whether it's email, depending on the relationship. A lot of times we talk on the phone, grab a cup of coffee. And a lot of them are just hesitant. They just don't want to come on. They don't want to open up that can of worms. They don't want to really even make it worse. They feel they can make it worse, and they don't want to get attacked more. And they get such relief that at least somebody's giving them a voice. I got so many compliments, and that's why I keep going. That has a lot to do with why I keep going. People are taking a lot of solace in the fact that there's, we push back, there's a group of people giving them a voice, giving them something where they feel like they're not, that their words or what they've experienced is falling on deaf ears. It, It gives them comfort and that really motivates me because I gotta be honest, it gets a little rough to do the podcast, it really does. You have to, timing wise, it's just hard to devote sometimes an hour an hour and a half and then you gotta edit it and upload it it takes up a lot of time sometimes and and I don't make any money on this I'm not monetized so this has nothing to do with business Uh, I just do it cuz I want to do it and sometimes you are like I don't feel like doing it and then I I meet with somebody or I get a text or I get a call and that and that keeps my motivation going and I spoke about this My other motivating factor is all of the haters everybody all the abuse insults remarks about my family That just fuels my fire, that keeps me going, that puts them in my crosshairs, that makes it so, okay, I want to focus on uh, exposing who these people truly are, I want to focus on what's going to help defendants. It's all part of a machine. All of these things add a little bit of oil to that machine. When I hear from family members, a little bit of oil. When I hear from the haters, a little bit of oil. And it makes the machine run smoother, stronger, more powerful. So that's what keeps this going. And I really wanted to highlight what goes on with these informants and how rules that apply to the general public do not apply when you're an informant and you're allowed to do things and get away with things. And it's so important for the public to understand, sit back and observe and listen to me. I'm not telling you to take my word for it. I'm telling you listen to everything. Watch everything. Watch every single informant podcast. Watch it all. Watch everything out there, then conclude. Then decide what you feel. But either way, it's important that people are aware of it. Either way, it's vital that people are aware of what goes on. People are aware of their behavior. People are aware of their true colors. I do a true color spotlight. I'll pick an informant and I'll do some true colors. I'll show material that they've done on the internet, if they have podcasts. And I'd like to start doing that on a bunch of different informants. Little by little, I'll compile it and put it together. Another project I have in mind... I'm going to start reading transcripts, trial transcripts from the informant's testimony. And actually, I got a really entertaining idea for that. What I may may do, and add a little bit of, it'll keep people engaged. I may, um, the same way I got a voice actor or recording artist, I don't really know the technical term. I think it's like a voiceover actor for uh guilt for the guiltless. I had a guy read the book. I'm going to do the same type of thing. I'll hire somebody who could recreate the persona of each informant. So what I'm going to do is my plan is I'm going to give them the informants channels. I'm going to tell them, listen to the material and try to mimic their voice when you read their testimony. And I think that'll be really engaging. I'll read the defense cross and they'll read the informant testimony. I think that'll keep the audience engaged, and then we could hear what they testified to, what the objections were. We get an idea of what their role was in all of these cases. And again, remember, my biggest problem here, and I talk about it, it, is the 83rd episode. It's irrelevant what I feel about informants. I say that day one. I never tell anybody, hate informants, don't hate informants, I don't care. That's my way. I don't like informants, I don't align with that philosophy I don't align with that behavior it's not for me I want nothing to do with it I don't ask my audience to take the same stance it's irrelevant what I think ladies and gentlemen there's a lot of people who agree with me and that's great we push back as a prime example of that we have a lot of people who agree with that and that's awesome but for the general public the focus of we push back of this is exposing the lying informants it's not I don't care what anybody says I know the informants have all their fan guys and gals That's great. They have all their supporters. That's great. But at the very least, you want the truth out of the informant. They owe that to the juries. They owe that to the court. They owe it to the system. You need to be truthful. If you're going to be an informant, that's what you're comfortable with, fine. At the very least, be truthful in what you're saying. Stop saying lies. I'll give you an example. There was one informant on here, and it's the same informant who threatened uh, my friend, M.R.E. He, he swears. He always he says, oh, I don't lie. I'm not a liar. Oh, All those supporters. He's not a liar. Okay. I have two parts to that. Number one, speaking with the, defend, the, uh, the defendant's attorney and people connected, that's not accurate. There were a lot of lies told, and we'll get into that at a later date. But number two, forget about that. This guy's lying on the internet. This guy's actually making up lies about things I've said and things I've done. Now, fortunately for me, Every single thing I've done is recorded. Every comment I've ever made is all recorded. I even have copies of all my comments just to make sure nobody pulls anything funny. So I have everything. So I know what I did and I know what I put out. Actually lying trying to say I did certain things. So again, totally collapses his argument that he's not a liar. Right there alone, okay, we know this guy will lie. So if he lies it's on here at such a small scale, you don't think he's going to lie on a major scale to save his life? common sense people come on common sense when somebody's a liar they're always a liar falsus and uno falsus and omnibus you're untruthful about one thing pretty much you're untruthful about everything else basically and i wanted to put this episode out there i wanted to memorialize it because i want the public to be able to go back to it if you get picked for jury duty listen to this Understand this when you're evaluating the credibility of these informants. Take into account what goes on after their testimony, after their big appearance, after they have the multiple practice sessions with the government to make sure that they come across in the highest of regard when they are testifying. Testifying, they clean them up, put nice suits on them, give them a haircut, shave, whatever it may be guide them on how to speak, guide them on how to answer, go over the questions time and again, basically prepare for their performance, similar to an actor, right? You have to do practice, you have to do trial readings, just like an actor. So it's very important for the jury to watch there and listen and see, are they dealing with an actor? Are they dealing with a liar? Are they dealing with somebody being truthful? Are they dealing with somebody being deceitful? Those are all things the jury has to ask himself and each individual juror has to contemplate. So if you get selected for jury duty, I really suggest start looking at all these informants podcasts, watch how, what they do to people, watch how they'll not only do they put defendants away after they put them away, they continue to talk about them, continue to bash them, continue to make lies up about them, all for the family to hear, friends to hear, supporters to hear with no regard, with no regard. But now if you start exposing, it's very important, now you've got to show when other people simply start exposing what they're about, and what they're doing. Watch their actions. Watch how they spiral out of control. Watch how they threaten people. Watch the typical tough guy talk. And it's always, remember, the guy who talks the toughest is the biggest coward. That's, that's always been my experience. Now, I'm not saying people who talk can't back it up. I'm not saying that. But from my experience, the guy who always has so much to say is always so talkative and tough on the on the internet podcast. They're always the biggest cowards, and it's proven. You had this one informant in one breath talking tough, threatening people, and in the next breath saying, "I'm going to the Department of Justice." So <laughs> right there, that's actually one of the best quotes of all time. That quote should be hung in a courtroom, and a for- and I'd put informant quote. And that's what I would put the threats, and then followed by him going to the Department of Justice because that sums up their mindset. It's deeper, people. It's deeper than words. That sums up their mindset. Think about it. By that statement, what is it saying? It's saying, come meet me so I could do whatever I want to you and then get you arrested afterwards. Think about that. That's what they're saying. They're trying to talk tough, like I could be a tough guy, I could fight, and then I'm going to get you arrested. <laughs> so. That's, I, I would hang that right in every courtroom in America. And I would say, informant quote, I put the informant name. I, I would want that. If I was a, an attorney, which I wouldn't want to be, I don't got the temperament for that. I'd rather own the company that supports the attorneys and run my staff. I don't <laughs> I don't got the temperament to be uh, an attorney. But if I did, I would have that on the outside of like my uh, briefcase. I would have a sticker plate, plastered on there with the informant quote in one breath threatening to meet me here and in the next breath uh, I'm gonna call the Department of Justice (laughs) that really sums up excuse me sums up how they think sums up the character sums up who they are as a person and all that does is make me laugh because it's so telling it's so transparent and uh, I think that's it for today I think this was a good episode I think this kind of, um, I feel I got my point across to the public, to those listening where it's a matter of observing their behavior, observing their actions, listening to their words, look at the contradictions of how they present themselves in court versus how they conduct themselves on the outside, even after they supposedly have this new life. And always remember, if they truly wanted a new life and they were truly remorseful, would they be trying to milk every dollar out of the public? based on telling their tall tales and their stories of grandeur and trying to make themselves something they weren't. No, they wouldn't be doing that. They're doing that because they're frustrated that they became an informant. They still want to be that fake tough guy that they always pretended to be. They still want to be that. But they know they're an informant, so they're trying to straddle that fence. They're trying to see how they can balance that and come across as tough and an informant. Newsflash those two don't go together it's an oxymoron you can't be both it's just a life uh, a fact of life so maybe if they start understanding that and making peace with that maybe they'll proceed a little differently but if they were truly decided to change their life they would reinvent themselves they'd move somewhere start a life over focus on their family focus on their career maybe focus on helping people rather than act like they're helping people by talking on a computer. I don't know how that's helping people. A lot of them claim they're helping people. They're talking on a computer. I don't know what that does. Um, maybe it'll give them something to reflect on some of them. And I'm not saying they're all, all like that, but everyone I've experienced so far and everyone I've been watching who has these podcasts, has these outlets, has this media puts out books. They're all cut from the same mold. They want to milk their past life for as much as it was worth. They want to benefit from everything they did, all their supposed tough guy moves, all their crazy killer actions. They want to benefit from all that, but they want to also make you believe, well, I'm a good person now. I'm changed. I'm redeemed. That's what they want to do, okay? I'm not telling you to fall for it, and I'm not telling you not to fall for it. I'm telling you use your own judgment, people watch these things. Watch how they play out. Don't listen to my opinion on it. I'm just giving you my opinion. Watch everything, understand it, and then decide what you believe. Decide what type of person you're really looking at. Decide what type of people a lot of these lying informants are. Make that decision as you go through it. That's it for today. Until next time.